Oh yeah, what is up friends? We are back man, we are back, welcome in the car, welcome in the gym, welcome in the shower, wherever you're listening to us. Today, we are back for podcast, The Naked Church, episode 13. That's right, you heard it here first, 13, and today we caught up with uh, author J.Y. Kim uh, from the Silicon Valley. He wrote the book Analog Church, uh, great book, both James and I have read this book, incredible book. Uh, we just had to catch up with him. Uh, if you want to find it, it's Analog Church, Why We Need Real People, Places, and Things in the Digital Age. Now, without further ado, we're going to get straight into that chat. So here we go. Jay, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, like all of our listeners right now? Maybe they've, they've, they've never met you before. Tell us a little bit about who you are, you know, yeah. your age, yeah, yeah. your um, sure. marital status, your... Um, your hobbies <laughs> and um and, and a little bit about um your book that you wrote yeah sure thanks for asking uh it's not that exciting <laughs> my name is jay i uh i'm a silicon valley native here in california in the u.s um uh, yeah i'm a pastor uh of a church called westgate and uh married to jenny my best friend we got two little kids six and three and uh, we're both, um, Jenny's moved around a bit, but, uh, we're both kind of native to this area and, uh, the book. Yeah. I, uh, I released a book, my first book in 2020 called analog church. And it's a book that argues for embodied presence that we released, uh, right. As the pandemic was making embodied presence, not possible. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, that was the irony of all ironies, but, um, but yeah, it's been, it's been a joy. Yeah. Honestly, you know, uh, aside from the irony, it's been, uh, yeah, I'm grateful uh, actually for the timing. I'm grateful that we were able to release that book into the wild when we did. For those that, um, obviously haven't read your book and are listening right now, could you give us like a brief synopsis, just an overtake, like what are the big thoughts? Like what's the big idea that you are really trying to get across to everyone through the through the through the book yeah that's great um mostly i am suggesting that the digital age is forming us in ways that we might not be aware of um that human beings are always being formed into a particular image and if we're not intentional about that image then uh you know um, digital technologies in particular are happy to do that work for us. And so the speed and the choices and the individualism of the digital age is making us grossly impatient and shallow and isolated. And that stuff sounds, it, it stands in direct um, opposition to the way of, of following Jesus and being formed into, into Christ likeness. So the book is really, uh, it's sort of an exploration of how those things are playing out uh, specifically in terms of the church and how we understand what it means to be the church and how our ecclesiology, it's just a fancy word meaning, you know, our a theology of the church, how our ecclesiology is actually being quite undone and uh, pulled apart um, in the digital age. So uh, it's my attempt at getting us back to center, essentially. I love that. If, if I can get it. A little personal because as i was reading the book or i was listening to someone else read it to me on audible uh, 
I, I heard within you, um, you know, a sense of frustration from, you know, your time in the church. Like, what led you to writing this book? Cause it's obviously pointy. It's obviously saying something specific. Can you tell us your journey right there? How did you get to a place where I have to write a book? Cause it takes a bit of passion to write a whole book. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a great question. I, um, like I said, I've lived basically my whole life in the Silicon Valley, which is the, the epicenter of, you know, digital technology. So um, the stuff we sort of spiral down all of our digital and social media platforms um, the, the majority of that stuff is sort of birthed here. This is the incubator for that. So what that means is I'm, I'm surrounded by, I mean, quite literally surrounded by men and women who spend their waking hours making the stuff that so many of us are addicted to. And they're mm. great people. They're not trying to bring harm. And, and, and actually there's much good that comes about because of the work they do. But because of that, I've just I, I've always had a long sort of fascination and in some ways appreciation for um, digital technology. And so like six, seven years ago, um, what I realized was that churches too, our church included, we were just kind of like running headlong down the digital path, you know, just trying to leverage anything and everything uh, within our grasp for the, you know, for the sake of these like cliche Christian words, like reach and impact and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> and I, I started asking the question, it, it started personally, I was like, man, I, I found myself like, I'm addicted to my digital devices, you know? And so I started asking that question about myself. And then that led down the road of asking that question about our church. Like, man, we, I think we got to be more thoughtful about how we leverage some of this stuff, because how we leverage the stuff is is actually more important than than the stuff itself you know in many ways i think tools themselves are you typically um amoral they don't have like necessarily an inherent morality mm. um it, it's human use or misuse or abuse Correct. of yeah. any technology that mm. that brings about so much harm and so uh, I just began to grow really concerned that not just our church, but churches at large were sort of leveraging digital technology without giving it enough care and thought and critique. Um, so long story short, that's kind of where the book came from. So like, what are some of the main problems that you think, you know, are arising right now? If we can get a bit more practical, you know, let's like, yeah. let's, let's, let's hone in a little, you know, are, are you talking live streaming? Like, like what, like, what are you talking about that you feel could be really pulling apart our, you know, spiritual DNA as a church? Yeah, that, that, yeah, that is maybe one of the, you know, all important questions. Um, one of the, one of the key ideas I have in the book uh, is that digital is awesome for information. Um, but the transformation yeah, is all analog experience. Yeah. And I think when we uh, allow digital technologies to accommodate and become the primary means by which people experience church, I'm using air quotes here, you know, yeah. <laughs> uh, and, uh, you know, church becomes information because that's what digital technology is great at. And if you parse out what I mean by information, in the digital age and on social media and in online platforms, especially 
what we call that information is content, you know, and there's that phrase in marketing that content is king. And that is true in marketing. That's true if you're trying to sell a product or a goods and services sort of industry. Uh, And I think that's what's happening to churches. Um, without um, without understanding like all of the underlying implications of what a completely digital sort of approach does, Christianity now is being offered to the evangelical masses essentially mm-hmm. as a product or content to consume cool. on par with like whatever Instagram content. This is why we began seeing, uh, you know, preachers become celebrities. Like that kind of stuff. Now, listen, like pastors, celebrity pastors existed before the internet. Yeah, That's for sure, you know? Um, but in terms of like the unique place of like influencers, you know, pastors as influencers, yeah. and that's unique to the digital age. And we're, we're seeing an increasing amount of that. Like you go back a hundred years, I mean, you could name on one hand the number of pastors or evangelical leaders mm. that were known nationally and globally, right? You're talking about people like Billy Graham or Amy Semple McPherson, or you know what I mean? There's mm-hmm. just like a handful mm-hmm. of names who carved out very unique niches. But now um, you go on Instagram and every, <laughs> every pastor has like some massive, ins- and I'm not against that, right? Yeah, like yeah. leveraging that. Uh, as as a front door, that's the metaphor I like to use. Mm-hmm. Leveraging mm-hmm. online technology, social media as a front door is a beautiful thing. The problem is in the digital age, I think so many churches and church leaders don't think of it as a front door. They think of it as like the end goal, you yeah, know, wow. to create a following, to put great content out there. And there we go. Boom, we reach the masses. You didn't reach the masses. You sold a product or some content to the masses. But if you want to like transform somebody's life, that takes way more person to person, shoulder to shoulder, you know, embodied presence for the long haul. I love that, bro. So, okay. So that's the problem with the digital. Let's talk analog now, because that's what you're passionate about. What, like, can you get more practical for people listening and, and even just for us? Like, what do you like, see is analog church? Like, and, and, and can you just break that term down a bit more for us so we understand just practically what you mean by it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, when I use the word analog, I just mean it in the most basic sense of the word, which essentially would mean embodied, tactile, um, physical. The theological word for it might be incarnational. Uh-huh. The fact that Jesus came as a as a human child uh is analog you know uh my friend and theological wizard uh scott mcknight he wrote the forward to my book and he talks about this in the forward and he talks about how jesus did not come as information or data or as a text or a tweet he came as a human being and you could argue well that's because they didn't have that back then well the reality is they have they had the written word you know, like Jesus could have, God could have come any number of ways in sort of less than physical, less than embodied ways, but he doesn't do that. He wow. comes fully human, you know, and he bears, um, this is like something, one thing I love about the Eastern Orthodox church, 
the Eastern Orthodox Church, they talk a lot about um, Christ, the resurrected and ascended Christ, bearing the scars of his crucifixion, which we know to be true scripturally, because Thomas is like, let me see your wounds. Mm -hmm. And Jesus is like, here. So like the resurrected Christ bears the wounds of, of what he did in order to win us life. And the Eastern Orthodox Church emphasizes that because one of the things they say is that Jesus is the only God in history who um, bears the marks of death because he's the only God in history who defeated it, right? And man, that's like in the flesh stuff. That is so embodied, right? And um, transformation happens that way. I just, it's undeniable. The, the reality is if I, wanted to, if I wanted to get in shape, right? If I want to like lose 10 pounds or build some muscle mass, I could watch every YouTube video on the planet about working out. I could get all the data, all content, all the information. I could become a mental intellectual expert in getting healthy. But if I don't physically do the work, right. like if I don't embody the work, right. right? Eat right, exercise, sleep well, all that stuff. But I, if I don't actually do that, I know a lot. I have a ton of content, but nothing about me transforms, mm. right? I'm informed, but I'm not transformed. Wow. And so it is with church. Yeah, that's, that's my belief. That's brilliant. So you're saying that there is a huge amount of, you know, people that would call themselves Christians right now. And they're probably a lot more informed than they are transformed. And maybe they don't even know the difference anymore. So what yeah. are some practical ways you reckon that we can get back to embodiment to analog church? Like what are some practical things you think that you, cause it might be pastors listening right now and they're like, yeah, maybe I've gone too digital. What are some things that you reckon we should do? Yeah, I mean, we're in a weird time as we're recording this, you know, with COVID and like variants and what do we do or go back on lockdown. So I want to be sensitive to all of that. I'm not saying like, hey, buck the rules and, yeah, yeah. you know, who cares? COVID is a farce. That's not what I'm saying <laughs> at all. But in the long term, you know, in the long term, I think what we've got to do is make sure that we let people know digital is the language we use at our church. Digital is um, a necessary and temporary compromise. It is not an ongoing convenience. You know, we do digital if and when that's all we have. But uh, in as much as it is up to us, um, I think pursuing embodied analog presence is crucial. So it's pretty simple stuff. I mean, it means like encouraging and motivating and inspiring and teaching your people about the value of doing life with other people in real life. You know, mm -hmm. it means showing up when it'd be easier to stay home. Yeah. Uh, it means visiting when it'd be easier just to send an email or text, you know, all of those things matter a great deal. Um, so it's really the simple stuff. It's hard stuff, but it's not complex. Mm -hmm. You know, I think it's just about doing the work and showing up. Um, time to time again. Um, Jay, I've got a question for you, man. And can, do you think that we can truly be analog? Like what you're saying basically is it's one-on-one -on -one hard work, discipleship, connection, loving when people are down and out. It's, it's that hard work stuff. How do we still be analog? Cause I know a lot of my, my friends who are pastors and they use digital to reach 
larger audiences, right? That's the biggest thing. We want to be able to reach more people. So I think the best way to do that is to go online. But as our churches get bigger um, and more people join our communities, how do we stay analog while we're getting bigger? Because I've, I find that as, as a, yeah, yeah. Or even can we, because, you know, we've been, we've been wrestling with this idea. Hey, we're, we're a small church right now. Uh, and we love it, to be honest with you, because we're able to connect with every single person who walks through um, who walks through the door. So how do we how do we continue to be analog and one on one connection as things grow? Yeah, man, that's a great question. I, you know, it's not monolithic. I don't want to say like, man, this is the answer to all of those questions. Those are complex questions. They demand that we do the work of educating our particular communities and the culture in which we find ourselves for sure. But generally speaking, I would just point people back to what I said earlier about being really clear about what digital is actually doing and then what can actually only be done in person. So a word like reach is a very interesting word because it's really broad and it's really elastic. So when somebody says like, man, I wanna reach my audience, that can mean so many different things. And I think we've mm. got to get more specific. So it's like, we're going totally digital. We're putting all this energy into digital so we can reach more people. Mm. Well, that sounds yeah. awesome. Mm. But if you parse out what you mean by reach, like if you were to ask somebody who says, we're putting all of our energy into digital because we want to reach more people for Christ. And I think it's important to say, okay, what do you mean when you say, reach more people. Yeah, okay. Love that. Does that mean give them more information, present more compelling content? Does that mean gaining a larger following on your Instagram or Twitter or getting more traffic on your website? What does it mean? Because the answer to that question is going to dictate your strategy. If the real honest answer is we just want more people coming to our website, then you should probably spend money on your SEO. So that when people like, search you, the search engine algorithms are going to pop up your website. But Mm. if by reach, what you actually mean is we want lonely people to feel like they find belonging in a family, or we want the hurt and the lost and the broken to find, uh, to experience Jesus followers crashing into their lives, bringing love and hope. So if that's what you mean by reach, you have to ask the question, Is the energy we're putting into our social media platforms getting that done? Like, is the money I'm putting into my SEO stuff so that my website comes up a lot, is that actually allowing the followers of Jesus in my care to crash and collide into the lives of the lonely and the lost and the broken? Like, is that actually happening because I'm putting all the money into making sure when somebody searches church on Google, my church pops up first? Is that actually happening? And if it's not, you got to be honest. Or if that's what you want to spend your money on, be honest about what you mean by reach. Be honest. Yeah, what I you mean that. by reach yeah. is you just want lots of people on your website. Yeah. You want lots of people watching your sermon. And here's the thing I would say, and I'll say this really strongly because I feel passionate about it. Okay. Most pastors, most pastors, myself included, overrate our ability to preach people into the kingdom. And that is, that's overrated. Like I am not a good enough preacher to reach the masses with my 30 minute sermons to actually be compelled by the the life and teachings of Jesus and the resurrected Christ. Like I pale in comparison 
to, to what the spirit of God can do through his actual people. I preach to motivate my people to live and embody a particular way so that through them, God might reach the masses. Sorry, good, I have no, I don't have like some sort of misunderstanding. My sermon is going to save tons of people. It's not, I'm not that good of a preacher and chances are neither are you. <laughs> like the, I, It sounds harsh, but like in the it's digital true. age, especially in the age of like preachers and sneakers and some of those guys on, the, on that, th- on that, um, you know, who get posted there are like friends and they're good guys and they want to reach Jesus, but that stuff is not going to change culture. And looking, sounding, and feeling like the rest of culture is not going to change culture. What we need to do is help people, our people, embody the way of Jesus in real ways. And then in embodied ways, shoulder to shoulder, share the love of God in ways that really change people's lives. So, uh, yeah, I'm passionate about that. So I'll I'll get off my soapbox now. (laughs) No, bro, I love that. I love that you're basically talking about... um, I think social media is a great way to lead people towards action, taking action, you know, feeding the homeless, uh, giving money to something. It's a great way to lead people to action or lead people to even like think about that attitude. But you're basically saying that for us to impact people's atmospheres and their lives, uh, we need to be in connection one-on-one side by side with, with them. Um, And it just, it simply can't be done through our Instagram stories about this scripture, that scripture, or how good we preached on the weekend. Yeah. And that stuff is great. I, don't get me wrong. That stuff is great. It's inspiring. They're the, they're these little, like, you know, bur- it's like, they're like bursts of caffeine for our people. Yeah. But if your diet is all caffeine, you're going to die. You're going to rot and die. You know what I mean? Like yeah. if all you're doing is drinking Red Bull a couple times a day, that is that that'll give you a little boost of energy, but that's no way to sustain health. And so it is in the church. I think we've got to we've got to dine and feast together on something much more substantial. Yeah. So, so bro, like, how how can we help our people move back to that? Because I mean, like, your church is probably like my church, full of people that are addicted to social media. And whether or not we would admit that we are, we actually really are. How, like, like, how are you going about? getting people back to a real analog way of living and and church and loving and being like Christ. What's some practical things we can do? Yeah. I mean, we're going um, slowly, but steadily, you know, we're just consistent about uh, calling people back. Uh, We try not to, you know, bash people over the head with it. Um, we, We try to be as gracious as possible. Obviously we're in a unique time. A lot of our people who are not coming back in person yet. It's not because they don't want to be with other people. It's because they have like legitimate health concerns and that's totally fair. And we want to honor that and be gracious toward that for sure. A lot of our people who aren't coming back are just not coming back because they were really marginal to begin with. And the last 18 months have just rehabituated them and church is no longer a part of their rhythm. Um, so the way we're thinking about it, and I, I don't know if this is right or wrong, this is just, it's been our approach at our church. Instead of trying to put all of our energy in moving people from far away to a little closer, to a little closer, to a little closer, we're trying uh, to reverse engineer it. And what we're trying to say is, let's actually focus on the people who are here. Because if you're here right now, like especially in this season, if you're here, that means like you are in, 
So that's actually been really interesting. You know, uh, our numbers are smaller than they were pre-pandemic, which is true, I think, for many, if not most churches. But instead of looking at it as like, hey, the glass is half empty now, what we're actually saying is, yes, there's less juice in the glass, but that juice is way more concentrated. It's not like this diluted sort of watery muck. It's like really concentrated. It's like intensely rich, committed men, women, and kids who want to get after it. So what we're saying is like, let's go inside out, you know, instead of focusing on outside in, getting people to come back, let's just say, who's here? Let's pour in right here and then see what God does as these men and women and these kids live their everyday lives embodying the way of Jesus. Um, and, and we're actually getting quite excited about that. So that's, that's just been our approach. Um, you know, different churches have different approaches, but like that's that. kind of how we're, how we're going about it. Change of focus. You, you're not trying to get the people back in. You're just really embodying and you're, you're doing what you're saying with the people that are around. Yeah. I love that. That's so good. Awesome. I've just got, I've just got another question. Um, what do you think that the future looks like? Technology is not slowing down. Uh, in fact, it's ramping up rapidly. Um, and I would, I would say too, like a lot of people listening to this and also in my life, being a young pastor coming up. Yeah. You do, you do look at social media as being a goal. I need to get, you know, 20,000 followers. So I've got more reach impact. I get more opportunity. So this isn't going away. This, um, deceptive, these deceptive goals of young pastors ain't going away, you know? people these young people yeah. now who are 15 16 17 who are going to be pastors of our churches um how do we how do we help them and how do we help people like me and people who do struggle with this to actually just get back to what really matters while still being able to utilize because bro I, I follow you on socials i see that you still post you know you still put things up you still have a yeah. bit of fun but how do we continue to use social media but at the same time don't um allow it to become our goal does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. Um, yeah, again, you know what I said earlier, technology itself is typically amoral, although one could make an argument that the way the algorithms are designed on particular social media um, platforms, there, there seems to be a sort of inherent design morality to them. Mm. So that's kind of dangerous, but either way, in terms of their ability to harm us uh, in a formational way, that's up to us. So I think that's the first thing is we have to like really, really uh, let people know like this is within your control. You know what I mean? Like this is not like, oh man, you're not going to survive if you're not on social media and you have no choice and you just got to be here and it is what it is. That, that's not That's not how it works. We have to like empower young people especially to say hey you're in control your phone is not in control mm -hmm. it will take control if you allow it to and it will take it suddenly and swiftly and it will be very hard to gain that control back but it is not in control and you're in control and so can you set up very particular parameters in your life that, that allow you to maintain control so that you leverage the technology for good instead of allowing the technology to leverage you, yep. to farm you out as uh, 
uh, just another tool in the cog you know the um there's that really popular documentary on netflix called the social dilemma and uh i think it was like one of netflix's most popular documentaries last year and there's a guy in there named tristan harris who uh worked for google for many years i cite him in my book i've been really really profoundly influenced by some of his work and he's kind of a design ethicist and he's got this fantastic line and i'm going to paraphrase it here he's going to say like he, he basically says like listen if any sort of commerce interaction is free for you like if it doesn't cost you anything that means you are not the customer you're the product because commerce always costs so if you think you're getting something for free in some sort of digital commerce interaction you're not it means you're the product so think about downloading all these apps twitter instagram facebook tiktok whatever we think it's like i don't pay anything for any of those apps and it's awesome so like it's a free i'm a consumer and i freely consume from this product well the reality is what that means is you're not the consumer you are the consumed you are the product like i am the product all the data all the information all of my scrolling and swiping that's being sold off it's being farmed to big mega corporations for information that they value in the billions and trillions of dollars. Like I am the product. So mm. all of your scroll, scrolling, all of your swiping, all of your clicking, liking, all of that stuff, like you're the product and your experience on those platforms, they are not random. They're not random mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. it is monetized. Like big companies pay a lot of money to make sure that you and I see what they want us to see. And that's forming us in particular ways. And I think we have to teach young people. The funny thing is like in many ways, young people have to teach us older people some of that stuff. I think they're growing this is a hopeful thing. I think they're growing increasingly aware of that reality. Yeah, true, true. And, and then allowing them to, to make the decision, okay, like what is a healthy leveraging of these platforms? You know, because you're right. I'm not arguing for us to become like Amish, you know, and throw all of our digital devices away and churn our own butter or something, you know? Like <laughs> oh, I have a great appreciation for my phone and my laptop. I'm so grateful that you and I, you know, the three of us, we're, we're literally on opposite ends of the world. And here we are having a chat. That's awesome. You know, but um, we got, we got to make sure that we leverage our tools rather than allowing the tools to leverage us. Yeah. That's great, man. Awesome. Yeah. Jay, thank you so much for joining us, bro. Really, 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 really appreciate it, man. Um, oh, you guys. If you are listening to this podcast right now, um, you need to do yourself a favor. Go out and get Analog Church, Why We Need Real People, Places, and Things in the Digital Age. Um, that's a book by J.Y. Kim. And um, I, I think James actually found this book first. He was scrolling through Scribd and he found it and he listened to the first few chapters, sent it to me, I listened to the whole thing. And it was profoundly encouraging. You know, I love books that are encouraging but still hit the point where it needs to be hit. You know, a lot of books we read that can be very um, negative, controversial with no encouragement, but this book is incredibly encouraging. Uh, it leads us to a great place of life and um, a way to move forward. So I just want to say thank you, Jay, for stepping out and 
doing this book. And do you have anything coming up, man? Tell us, did I see on your Instagram that you, oh, that's funny. That's ironic. Did I see on your Instagram? Um, did you, do you have, um, were you a, a, a writer for another book or something coming up? Yeah. Well, thank you guys for the kind words. I'm so grateful that you found the book helpful. Um, yeah, I'm writing a, a follow-up book called Analog Christian, and it's just a more uh, sort of personal take on what the digital age is doing to us individually. The first book was about what it's doing to us as the church. The second book is about what it's doing to us as individuals, and then how we can r- respond to that. Um, so it's called Analog Christian. Uh, cultivating um, contentment, resilience, and wisdom in the digital age. And that comes out uh, probably summer of next year, summer of 22. So, Oh man, can't wait. We'll, we'll get you, we'll get it on again and we'll talk about analog Christians. I love that. Yeah, that'd be, that'd be fun. Jay, thanks so much for joining us, man. Appreciate you. Yeah. Thank you guys.